0: JT Crowley is talking books on the show. You'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world.
1: Hello, I'm JT Crowley, and I'm very privileged to have on the show today, Brad A. Lamar to talk about the Celtic mythos series he has written. The books are contemporary fantasy fiction for young adults. There are four books in this epic series. The first book is called The Obsidian Dagger, the second is The Metalith Union, the third The Dominion Pulse, and the final book is The Bloodline Inheritance. The stories are built around Celtic clans, humans, leprechauns, necromancers, marrows, sides, ruas and kelpies, all located in the Celtic Isles, lands with small villages at the end of rainbows, and the black forest home to Mourner the necromancer, and a host of Celtic mythos creatures ranging from kelpies to pixies. Magical, powerful weapons from daggers, swords, magical blasts, wing daggers, axes, are all strewn across these four epic, beautiful, exciting books. Brad comes from Indianapolis metropolitan area in the United States, where he lives with his wife, Laurie, and his family. For the past 25 odd years, he has taught science to middle grade students. So let's invite him on the show to, to so that he can talk about his books and a little bit about himself. Brad, come and join me.
0: Hi, John. How are you?
1: I'm very good today. It's a nice sunny day here in the United Kingdom for once. It doesn't always <laughs> rain here, everybody just a lot. Now, Brad, before we get into the books that make up the Celtic Mythos series, would you care to tell the audience a little about yourself and why you came to write this epic series?
0: Thanks, John. Um, Yeah, so I have been a teacher for the past 25 years here in the Indianapolis area and uh, got into it basically because I just wanted to make sure that students could learn. I felt like I was pretty good about helping people understand things, and science in particular because i science is one of the things that you can you can trust in the world simply because well we try to right uh simply because we're we're proving things with evidence and stuff like that, and so going exact opposite writing science fiction and fantasy um it's just another part of who I am, and so when I got into this, this particular story actually. Um, I started off writing stories for my own two children, Evan and Paige. And I wrote a little story where the two of them and me went over to Ireland to look up some of our background. And they really wanted to see a rainbow in the leprechauns. And I'm like, OK, let's see if they're there. And in the story, we go there and they're, they're collecting rainbow uh, sprinkles and stuff like that. And it's a great little time. Well, I put them to bed after that. I read it to them. And then I thought, what if what if something horrible happens at that moment? And then now we have an epic adventure to go on, and so that's kind of where that grew from. And so instead of naming the characters Evan and Paige, I just chose two um, two other names, Brendan and Lizzie. So it kind of started from a, a little story I wrote for my my kids, and then it turned into this crazy adventure after that.
1: I wondered where you know the the characters uh, originated from. Now I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, when I look at the books throughout the series. They are built around various clans, humans, leprechauns, necromancers, etc. And they are within two locations. You talk about magical weapons, the obsidian dagger, bow staff, magical blasts, wine daggers, the sword of the protector. Why the theme to these books, you know, with all the clans, the locations, the weapons? And how did you develop the main characters, Brendan and Lizzie? Along with Dorian, Rory, Biddy, Mourner, Dullahan, and of course the father character, Oscar.
0: Yeah, um, I'll tell you. So when you do a book like this, or a series like this, and you're really going to include deities, so I'd already read things like from Rick Riordan uh, with the Percy Jackson series, and you read things like Harry Potter or um, the Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, those sort of things. They have those sort of they have themes in them where it's good versus evil, and those types of stories have always appealed to me. So, in writing this, I wanted to make sure that I had uh, not only a, a, a definite good and a definite evil, but also along the way I wanted to sprinkle in all these rich Celtic stories and myths and legends and deities. And really, the first book I didn't even think about the the gods of Celtic lore until the very end when I was writing it. So uh, and I don't want to spoil the book for anybody, but uh, that happens. <laughs> it becomes now a book of gods and legends um, and including things like marrows and cheese and ruas and kelpies and necromancers and all sorts of creatures like that. Those are just stories that were already in existence. Like um, here in America, a lot of people don't know that uh, the Headless Horseman was actually from an Irish uh, folklore and his name was Dullahan. And so I wanted to kind of educate a little bit of, of of us here that, you know, hey, these legends come from somewhere. They didn't just pop up in New York City or California. Yeah. So, But yeah, and then as far as like how I chose the weaponry and things, um, I was just looking for each one of the heroes to have a different type of power that wasn't a superpower necessarily, but more like a, through um, the rainbow's magic, it gifted them with a, a way of protecting themselves and then in, in turn protecting the earth. Um, and so I just kind of picked it based on what their personalities were, how I felt when I created them, this is a personality type that would have this sort of protection on them. And so uh, Biddy gets the wings because she's kind of a high-flying optimist. And then, you know, you get Brandon with his sword, because he's the main character, Brendan with the sword. So he, he's got the the way to protect themselves and they had been for years and years and years, centuries. Uh, the sword was, you know, the way that it went. If you, if you fall on the sword kind of deal. So um, that's where the, the thought process was in picking those weapons and, and creating those characters from Celtic legends that were already in existence.
1: I liked the um, the clan, the Meros, you know. The Meros, you know, they have a monarchy, in, you know, at the time of the obsidian dagger, Queen Uis, is in charge. And of course, another name for the clan is Mermaid. And because these beautiful part-human, part-fish people adore the waters and want to keep them clean. And so they're forced into hiding the population burst of humanity. And they keep themselves to themselves. I liked the Merrows clan. You know, they are a really good clan, everybody. And I hope you enjoy them, because I certainly did. Absolutely. Now... Um, Right. let's go and give people a glimpse of what's in the first book. So the first book, everybody, is The Obsidian Dagger. This story you set in magical Ireland and Scotland, featuring two American teenagers, Brendan and Lizzie O'Neill, a mad witch, well, you've got to have a mad witch, who possesses the Obsidian Dagger, a desperate princess Dorian of the Leprechauns clan, and a whole host of other characters. Clans, magical weaponry. The story unfolds, everybody, across 21 wonderful, exciting, tense chapters. But I want to go to chapter three so that the audience can get a flavour of what's in this book. So, chapter 23, Brad, you title this Learning the Legend. You start the scene in italics about a World Cup in Rio de Janeiro with Brendan some kind of a superhero. But you soon switch to Hewan's Bar in a remote part of Ireland where Brendan and Lizzie, who have come with their father, Oscar, who has come to do some research on his family background. And what Brendan and Lizzie glean from the conversation in the pub is quite intriguing. Now, whether youngsters of that age should be in a pub, well, that's another question. Don't ask me why Brad put them in there. You can probably, I'll let him tell you that. But Brad, why the contents of this chapter and where are you taking the reader?
0: Well, I needed a way to bridge why they were there to begin with. So going from their father's research to how do I get them on the adventure? And so hearing a little tell and having your own family's name being involved in that tell as if there. So that drew a connection and an interest in Lizzie. And uh, so she will eventually convince Brendan to go for a ride and to hunt out leprechauns and rainbows and all this magical stuff that she just heard about. And uh, the way the scene is written, uh, everyone else thinks it's ridiculous, except the one guy who's telling the story. And so, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a humorous chapter. But um, I had to get them going on their adventure, and that was one way to do so. Um, How I envisioned this pub is more of like something that's here in America where there's a bar area, and then there was a, an eating area. So that's why they were in the pub. It was, it was kind of like the mm-hmm. bar and grill here in America. So uh, that's why I'm familiar with that kind of thing. But anyway, I had to get them going on that 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 adventure and taking uh, Oscar away, having him do his, his own research and leaving them behind, this gave them the opportunity to take the terrible car and go out and see if they could uh, actually find some leprechauns.
1: Oh, and did they? Oh, yeah. Let's get to chapter 10, Brad, headed up with okay. Gorgosh. Now, um, Gorgosh, as far as I can determine, is a giant spirited man who has the ability to reform himself as a normal, average, everyday-sized man. Mourner, the witch, apprentice to Concar, the most powerful wizard to ever live, is up to something. Hmm... Brandon, Lizzie, Dorian and the others are far from where they should be. Their father Oscars project, funded by his university back in America, with a character, Charlie, now involved, is relaying the progress made in the pub at Gilsherry, particularly the unbelievable luck at the records room back in Galway. What's going on here, Brad? Are you definitely ramping up the storyline here.
0: Absolutely. So as now that we know there's this magical world exists and Brendan and Lizzie now become privy to it and so um, Gorgotch has a, a specific, particular connection to Morna and we'll talk more about that when we get to the next chapter that we're going to discuss um, but I wanted the, the reader to see this magical world and that it's not just these leprechauns it's now a much broader because the chapter four, I introduced Dolahan, the headless horseman, and um, this is so much richer, so much broader. And I, I just felt like Celtic mythology didn't get enough credit, and it was a kind of a there was a, a missing part in readership in fantasy. So that's why I, I focused so deeply on that. But yeah, I had to, had to try to get Gorgach in there, and then um, Morna try to make her as bad a witch as I possibly could without being too scary here in the first book. Um, I I will say this though, in the series, um, I tried to do kind of mimic what JK Rowling did in Harry Potter, how it started off being a nice soft book for the age reader, but your reader was going to grow up a little bit and continue to hopefully read. And so as this series goes, they get darker and darker and darker. I didn't intend to write um, kind of horror books, but kind of, comes out that way a little bit
1: (laughs) they do now i love chapter 15 which you titled the witcher's ruse you've taken us to a cave you know uh cavern brad a cave cursed with evil brandon walking alongside gorgosh is looking for a rose red orbs flare up to life with sets of eyes the cavern is eventually lit up with by hundreds of christmas lights What's the history behind the cave, and how important is this scene to the overall theme of the book and possibly the series?
0: So, the cave in particular, um, there's a connection with Gorogch in, in this particular cave. So, Oruaz is a an undead human who's been tranced um, into becoming basically like a like a zombie. They're alive still, so their their skin tightens and pels, uh, their teeth grow, their claws extend. Um, they have the ability to scale walls and all sorts of things. So they're very scary things, if you think about it. So I don't know who curated that in uh, Celtic mythology, but they did. And there it was. So I thought I have to use this. And so, uh, Gorgach, his whole thing, um, because, um, the sort of a little bit of a background was his betrothed, who he was going to marry was murdered by, uh, the witch and her, um, Cretans and uh, so he went to exact revenge when he was in his human his human self and she cursed him to be this half man, half um, half half spirit and she used him to create all sorts of, of havoc out in the countryside there uh, in Scotland and uh, other places and so when he was able to escape her he was just kind of floating on his own and, and living his life and defending the different clans like the leprechauns and things like that. So yeah, the cave does play some important, especially in this particular story, because we have Gorgots there. And so it was a way to tell this again, to emphasize what kind of evil Morna was and how she would use people. I mean, these people who become the ruas they didn't ask for that. They're just innocent people who just get swept up in it. Um, which as we see so often in the world where evil people take innocent lives, dislike what's happening currently so yeah that's kind of where that came from
1: ah interesting now the second book brad's the megalith union here we have 22 chapters of high octane drama from chance encounters celebrations druid secrets anxieties plans battles pomp and circumstance and much much more brendan is now a college freshman back home in America. And just as life is settling down, fate intervenes. And the adventures start off all over again, everyone. Elephant, the golden god of Celtic lore, is reborn out of the ashes of a dead king, an iniquitous witch. Wow, this book looks good. It really does, everything. So let's have a look at some of the chapters that you, Brad, have written here. Chapter 2, Chance Encounters. Oscar the father is back home. He gets a surprise visit from Charlie. He wakes up wondering if he's had a dream. He hoofs it to Sullivan's bar with a spiral notebook and a pen. His world is a bit of a blur here. Brandon wants to be a doctor, for he's seen enough bloodshed on his quest last summer. He settles into Celtic Heritage House, which is going to be his home for the next four years, while he's at Syracuse University. Mmm, this story is getting really good, everybody. Where are you taking the readers here, Brass?
0: Well, so we're in America now instead of being um, across the ocean. And uh, so Charlie is still a character involved in Oscar's life. But I wanted to indicate that it's probably not what exactly it seems to be, not just a friendship between two guys who were traveling and that sort of thing. Uh, So I wanted to make it more of a, a mystery and then uh having uh Brendan there in New York uh puts him New York State, not New York City, but puts him in with some other characters that I can introduce that are now um they're they're also Celtic myths, but they're American myths too. Really? And yeah, well, they would be, yeah. They brought over because a lot of the Irish came over and so they brought their traditions with them, like Halloween, for instance. Um and so I have wanted to introduce some other humans in here that weren't part of the protectors line so not part of the O'Neills, where brendan and lizzie and oscar are uh so that's where i introduce a roommate named ken and i introduce uh, a possible uh, love interest to mix it up a little bit for uh brendan and megan and of course she's not what she seems um but she yeah so not. it she
1: is she not, not <laughs> is she? No. <laughs>
0: So it just kind of given some of that human side of it to him again uh, to where he had been, he'd risen up to this level of, Oh, wow. He's really a a protector. And then I want to make sure he was humanized as well. And so that's why we brought him back to college. He he has a a heart and a sensibility of, he doesn't like the bloodshed. He didn't ask for this. So what could he do? So that's where the idea that maybe he should become a doctor um, as part of that. And so he's, started that journey but he's also still being drawn back into that, that Celtic world because he's he's got Dorian still across the ocean and they can communicate but now all of a sudden he's seeing it happen around him here in America as well and that's kind of the interesting part of that.
1: In between moments Brad chapter 12 I found fascinating and equally so chapter 20, Pomp and Circumstance. So in chapter 12, why have you put Conquer and Dulahan in New York? Does the fate of the earth depend on Brendan's actions? For well, millennia forces that are beyond its comprehension have been locked in battle for control over the world. Humans and magics alike have been made into mere pawns here in this part of the book, the plans of the gods. So the question is, why have you put Conquer and Dulan in New York? Does the face of the earth depend on Brendan? And what are Nuda and Eladhan doing on earth? What are they doing? <laughs> so with Contrar
0: and Dullahan, um I had to find a way to get us to Otherworld because a big part of Celtic mythology is these six realms I just chose six of the realms, but uh, six realms of other world that exist and they have different uh, different little names like the realm of Arbon, uh realm of the caverns, realm of the heavens and so on. So um, I thought taking this, so I've been to, you know, England over there, been to America, where can I go? And I had to include other worlds. So. How do I get to Otherworld? There had to be a way to get there, and that's where the title of the book, Megalith Union, comes into being. And But the Megaliths themselves aren't sufficient enough and magical enough to get these characters to Otherworld. And so, Conchar and Dolahan, they're on the search for some magical trinkets and things that can actually make that happen. Um, Aletheon, being raised again, he was at one point in time, not spoiling anything, because this won't from the book, Um, he was trapped already by Nueda. And in doing so, Nueda also trapped himself. He had to, to save the Earth and other world from Lathion's terror. But Lathion found a way to come back. And when you read the first book, you'll see how he comes back in the prologue.
1: uh, Oh, what a good clue there. Read the first book, everyone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, th- there's definitely reasons why they're placed where they are. And uh, I-, I hope there's enough um, mystery and twists and turns. And I-, I think there are, uh, especially when you start reading and you get uh,
1: someone like Megan. Oh, there are. There's huge twists, everybody. Believe you me. Um, Let's go to the chapter Pomp and Circumstance you know, which is chapter 20, how does the narrative here fit into the overall grand scheme of things? So
0: in this particular chapter, you're looking at uh, Corways, that's the town of the Leprechauns being basically destroyed. And um, now we have, uh, it really fits in. I don't want to give away too much where we have a reveal. And and we have a reveal. We have a reveal, and so uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But um, it's very, Im- very important because once the town is destroyed, n- now you have a sense of this is getting real for these these clans, these people. This is not just the witch conning around trying to take over power here on Earth. Now it's a much greater risk is out there, and uh, they're finding that they themselves aren't enough to to stop. Who they have to stop, but yet there's no one else who
1: can even attempt to. There you go. Now, <laughs> I said there are four books. Let's get to the third one. So let's have turn our attention to the third book in the series, The Dominion Pulse. For me, this has, i you know, this has shown 20 chapters of exhilarating, edge-of-the-seat chain of events, ruthless enemies, bonds, haunts, hidden thoughts, demons, and warnings. After losing his father to Elethan, Brendan is forced to regroup, recuperate, and come to terms with the colossal responsibility that's been imposed upon him. The areas in this book that did it for me were chapters 4, 10 and 17. Ruthless enemies, the past as the future, and acquiring power. So let's take the audience, Brad, to Ruthless enemies, chapter 4. Brendan has been working on his powers and in front of Dorian. The debris of wood after the attack from the magots, is restored into neat piles, piles that now serve no purpose but for wood fire for the clans over the forthcoming winter months. Why does Elathan need three Banshees, a Necromancer and a human in, this, in his fold? And what role is Camelus playing here? Why is he in cahoots with Elethon? What are you doing here to the reader? What are you <laughs> doing? Not with torture,
0: but uh, I guess <laughs> in some ways. Um, so Camillus is a god who, a god of war who um, craves power. And so he wants to be around power. And at that moment in time, Elethon is the most powerful god there is. Mm-hmm. And he's about to become more powerful. Which is the crazy part because Brendan has already gone up against him and has seen how powerful he is to that point. So the Dominion Pulse part of it um, is telling you that there's a Dominion Pulse, a little essence of a soul of a realm, essentially, where if someone can control the soul, they control the realm. And so why Latheon has surrounded himself with so many other powerful gods and banshees and all these other things is because if he's going to have those realms, he needs to be able to place someone in charge of the realm that's loyal to him. And so when you see uh, Camulos or Duai or one of these other ones um, be so loyal to him to a fault um, that's really what's happening in that case. They are trying to gain power themselves, so maybe they won't be as powerful as him, but if they're powerful enough to be the watcher or the owner of the of the realm, then now that's pretty it's pretty good power.
1: Wow, Chapter ten: The past is the future. Brad, you start the narrative here with Concha, the wizard and the seeker wandering around Bruce's realm of caverns. Concha was hoping that the Dominion Pulse was in the caves. They encounter Dewey, the Dragon God, the Watcher of the Realm, everybody. Brandon, on the back of a griffin, flying out of Scotland, the Isle of Lewis, to be precise, looking for Bibi. King Arden, the King of the Seeds. His people have gone into hiding, having witnessed Elephant's power, And you talk about the seeker is the only one who can sense where the dominion pulse of the realm is located. This is a really busy chapter, Brad. What's going on here? Mm -hmm. And what is the dominion pulse? And why is it so important to Elephant's overall plan? Yeah, so the seeker comes
0: from the line of protectors. So um, Noeda had given the earth a line of particular people And uh, so as they have children, those children then become the new protector. And so for a long time, the protector hasn't really been needed because uh, while back, um, Noeda had trapped Aletheon and himself. So there was no, basically the tether between Otherworld and Earth had been cut off. So to bring that back into line, that's part of what the Megalith Union was, finding those different um, items to to make that tether come back and to bring Aletheon back to Otherworld, where he could then take the Seeker, who is the only one um, who has the capability of sensing, because sensing in Otherworld, he's the only one who senses the the pulses, and that's simply because he is in the line of the protectors. Now, had he taken Brendan or Lizzie, they also could have become a Seeker, but he had um, he took the weaker one, the older the older guy when. You know, with me. Uh I took the older guy and uh ha- but also with more wisdom. And so he was able to use him to try to find these pulses. And they become so important because once he controls all of the other world, uh, now he can travel back to Earth, which is what the last book is about, and find the Emerald Crown of the world.
1: and oh, we'll come to that one. Which Al, chapter seventeen Brad Acquiring Power. <laughs> yeah. You kickstart yeah. the narrative here with Elephant gritting his teeth, tensing his muscles as he sends a massive wave of golden energy directly into Argona. Arun tries to intervene with little effect. Elephant is just too powerful. And then uh, like in many of your chapters in the books, you flick from the past to the present day. Here you have Brendan and others at the campus of Cirrus University a Detective Simons comes on the scene. So as they go down the vortex, you flip back and taking uh, Detective Simmons this time as he goes down the vortex. And of course, Oscar's role here. Could you expand here without giving too much away? Why you flip back and forth and what's going on here?
0: Well, um, how I'm... Doing the, how I write is I write like I'm writing. Like I'm seeing a movie, and so I want to give most too.
1: Yeah,
0: you, you, I hope so. Yeah. Um, so I'd like them to see what's happening to characters and, and to not not ignore the character um, that are also important in the books. Just because they're not Brendan doesn't mean they're not important. They're also giving rich background, and in many cases. Um, a sense of urgency for the, the reader themselves so that they can see that oh this is high stakes uh, so the Latheon torturing Argona and Ardman, um and these are two very powerful. One is a goddess and the other one is the first line of the protector, Aron. and so <clears throat> him being pushed around it, it's, it plays to the power of the like oh man this, this puts it at such a higher risk for Brendan and his group to even come close to thinking that they could defeat Latheon, It gives it that much more of a sense of urgency.
1: Now, you've already mentioned it. You've got a fourth book. I know you have. <laughs> so let's go to it. The Bloodline Inheritance. I have to say, Brad, this series so far has been absolutely breathtaking. So let's see what you reveal in this book. My understanding, having gone through the book, that this is a journey that touches upon best laid plans the unexpected, visions of the crown, harsh realities, trials, mind games, plus rallies for war and more. Elephant seeks the Emerald Crown of the world, which possesses an ancient magic whose power is menacing. As Earth's rightful protector, Brendan must stop Elephant in his tracks to save the world. However, with Brendan under a poison curse, The others have to step up to the mark. So like in all the other books, let's give people a glimpse of what's in this one. Let's go to chapter one, Forging Ahead. Oscar's father is back. It hadn't been an easy task retrieving him. Brandon took another beating at the hands of Elathan and nearly lost his sister Lizzie and Dorian, who he has fallen in love with, in the process. Elathan's powers have been expanded exponentially. Brendan is cautiously optimistic about the future. He not only managed to save both his sister and his girlfriend from being blown to bits by the terrible God, but he has a chance to see how his own powers stacked up against the altered God. Tell us Brad, the storyline here and the character you have within, and where are you taking the reader in this opening chapter? What are you preparing everybody for? What's coming down the line?
0: Well, for, I had to show that Brendan uh, was also gaining power as well. Otherwise Mm. it wouldn't make any sense at all for at the end, if they're going to have any chance that, um, that, well, that didn't have any chance essentially. So I had to show he was getting stronger as well. And, but he's always going to have that self doubt in him. Um, And, that self-doubt is very human. Whereas if you're a God that maybe wouldn't be a thing cause we don't know any gods here. So, um, but a human quality, having that self-doubt, having a lack of confidence, just not th- knowing that you're up to task. Um, that's a very common theme that we all can, um, get behind because that's how we feel. Uh, but yeah, so I had to kind of give him a little bit of a, a major risk, but, um, I also want, as you said, I wanted the others to step up as well and show that the team is the team. They're not it's not just Brendan at all. It's he I've even put him down for a while to where, you know, he he still is in the book and stuff. But um, I got to see the other ones, what their merit is. And I wanted to show that to the reader.
1: You know, I'm a great believer in it. So you have your main character, but sub characters are just as important because they need to back up the main character and carry the story as well. Uh, And a lot of authors do that. And uh, when I looked at your books, you've done that very, very successfully. Thank you. So chapter six, Visions of the Crown, Brad. Uh, The storyline here is, in my mind, is very substantial. Why the lake scene? Hmm, that made me think. Uh, Brendan's found new powers, Mm -hmm. the sword. What's Nudas and Morrigan's role here? You talk about a nether purely. And I apologise if I've got that word pronounced wrong. We have a create a creature called a naseig. Yeah, naseig. Yep. yep. So, what are Elephant and his earth servant, Kranach, up to? Now, this is another busy, busy chapter. It's full of tense twists and turns. It's totally engrossing. So, why the late scene? You know, talk to me about Brenda's new powers, the swords, you know. You sure Brendan. keep us all busy, don't you? <laughs> I try to.
0: Uh, yeah, so as his as Latham's powers are expanding, so are Brendan's. It's kind of like a universal, how do we match this? So uh, there's a yin and a yang. There's a matter and an antimatter, that kind of deal. So his powers are also growing in that regard. And so he's trying to get a sword uh, from the bottom of this lake. And the lake has been basically poisoned by Aletheon. And so because um, all everything in Otherworld now at this point uh, has been poisoned by Aletheon. And so as Brendan goes down there, he's absorbing some of that that poison, essentially. And that drives rage because that's what Aletheon is. He's rage and evil and hate. And uh, this is where we see a little bit of a, a shift in Brendan's own character, like his who he is. And um, I thought it was important to, to have that scene so that you can see that he actually had to rely on his, his um, family and his friends and his girlfriend and um, seek out help because we all can't do it alone. Again, another human thing that you just because you're the greatest thing on the planet doesn't mean you don't need help. And so I had to put that in there just simply because I wanted him to show some of that vulnerability still.
1: And I think you did it very well. Thank you. And finally, let's head to chapter 20, Rally for War. I thought this was a brilliant chapter. Oh, boy, this. Corways has been decimated. Lizzie excited to see that the leprechaun myth is true. Hmm. Dorian and Brendan are still in the other world. Cranock can't believe his eyes. PG has made short work of two wailing banshees. And it's the first time Brendan, you know, we've laid eyes on Nuda's face, the silver god. This is the first time that Brendan has actually seen his face. We have megaliths, armies of goblins and dragons, red caps. Oh, you do give us something to think about. Mm -hmm. Go on, spill the beans as to what, but don't give too much away here because this is towards the end of the book. Where are you taking us here? (laughs)
0: um i'm giving it to the point. this is the point this is the the tip top apex of what the story line was and so it had to be larger than life it had to be um where i take the reader on uh, basically this is the 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 twist and turn of the roller coaster that's the main deal and uh go out with a go out with a bang and so yeah so we have um the sides kind of getting together, and Brendan and um, finally gets to meet Nuada, um, and because remember he's been trapped in a kind of a pocket dimension, um, but somehow Brendan's able to find him and enter that dimension, and it's like crazy to everybody who's there watching this happen. Uh, Dorian can't even see anybody inside of the the place, um, and but there's Nueda kind of laid out, and Brendan. Um, finally gets to see who his sponsor is, essentially. Um, The one who's responsible for giving this power over, because if you recall from the first book, Brendan glows silver. And eventually he gets to glow with that white power, like where it's going to be um, electric, kind of like a static kind of power. But you see almost like a fluorescent bluish white, which is interesting. Um, I just wanted him to be able to evolve to where he didn't need Nueda anymore.
1: And now he's his own, almost his own God. Regular. Did you enjoy writing these series? And what do your students think to your books?
0: Oh, they can't believe that there's an author in their building, first of all. And oh, yeah. it always shocks them. <laughs> they'll, I'll have the books lying around just in, in here. I'm always encouraging reading and, and such for my students. And so they'll pick it up and be like, wait a second, what's your name? Oh, mm-hmm. And then they'll flip to the back and see my picture in it and stuff. And so it, it, they, they get really encouraged a lot of times and um, just think it's a really cool thing that, that that's there. And then every time I come out with a new book, they just are shocked every time. And it shouldn't be because uh, with, with my latest book, I, uh, I dedicated it to them because it literally came from a story I wrote for my students a while back, a long time ago. Um, and that's they're part, of, part of my encouragement.
1: So what's next for you in terms of writing you know, other books? Now, what other books have you done? Briefly tell us.
0: Okay, I'll, I'll even show you. So um, the very first novel I ever wrote was Anger Island. And after the success of uh, *Celtic Mythos, I was able to get the first book I ever wrote published. And so that was pretty awesome. And then well, I had an agent for that years ago, and this one's science fiction. Then I wrote the second book, Anger Island, The Crystal Cavern. Um, it's a, got some twists and turns in it, too, because I cannot not do that. So um, it, but it's more science. I said science fiction. And then uh, this is a story, the very first story I ever wrote for my students. And it looks weird and it is, but it's fun and humorous. and takes place on an alien world. So those are the seven books I have out currently and uh, more that are going to be on the way coming in the coming year. So it's an exciting time for me.
1: Who do you see as your readers, and who do you want, or should I say more directly, who would you want to see reading your books? Everybody, or just youngsters? Or uh, I, I
0: as far as, as far as like the uh, Celtic Mythos series, I could see that middle school up. I I know that a lot of adults have enjoyed the books as well. Um,
1: I enjoyed an it, and I'm an adult. You are an adult.
0: <laughs> I enjoy it sometimes.
1: <laughs> it's on the day.
0: Um, yeah, so, but like Zorp, that's kind of aimed at like a fourth through eighth grader um, young young readers. Um, but then I have other things coming down the line too. Uh, I've got a writing project with a, another author um, named Jeff Bailey, and it's a, an adult contemporary book, you know, uh, uh, historical fiction. So, I mean, it, I write all over the place. I write poetry, I write lyrics, so I try to be diverse.
1: Where can people get your books from?
0: everywhere books are sold Amazon uh, some of them are on on target or Target.com. com uh, uh, you can get them at Barnes nobles uh, you can order them through that kobo I mean there a lot of them are available uh, through um, Kindle and ebooks uh, like well this one is available through um, audiobook on Amazon uh, they did that so but be careful there because they when the AI does the reading it calls latheon it calls them elephant but it's, it's whatever. <laughs> I was just happy have an audio book.
1: <laughs> well, Brad A. Lamar, thanks for joining me on the show today. Brad A. Lamar, everybody, with his uh, fabulous, epic mammoth series, the Celtic Mythos series. I'm Jetty Crowley. Thanks for listening, watching, wherever you're in the world. Until next time, stay safe.